if you have your Bibles with you, I would like you to please turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. Gospel of Mark chapter 5. As we're really continuing to work our way through the, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark as we, as we took a, take a closer look at the life and the teachings of Jesus. Um, and, and as we'll see here this morning, um, also the miracles of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the sensitivity of Jesus, in some cases the, 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 the fortitude, we'll, we see that, oftentimes we see the, the strength of Jesus, we see the confrontational uh, ability, of, we, we've seen all of this and we will continue to see it as we make our way through the, the gospel of Mark. Well, if you've been with us in recent weeks, you know that looking at the text here in Mark chapter 5, it has been been an eventful few days for Jesus and the disciples. Let's step back from just the close in of the text and look at a little bit of a macro view of this. Jesus had taught at the end of chapter 4, actually throughout chapter 4, Jesus had been teaching large groups of people some powerful significant truths and so many people they hardly had place to move and they were weary and Jesus directed his disciples into a boat and he said we're going to go to the other side so they all get into a boat on the boat ride across the sea of Galilee Jesus they encounter this enormous storm that was not only ferocious but it was life-threatening And Jesus, with three words, Jesus, with three words, he quiets the storm and and everything settles down, their lives are spared. Powerful truth. Well, they get to the other side, but they're blown off course. They don't end up where they had intended to go. When they get off the boat, when they get to shore after this incredible, memorable, in some cases, terrifying night ride across the Sea of Galilee. They get to the other side, and as soon as they get to the other side, this crazy man runs up to them, falls at Jesus' feet. He is horribly demon-possessed. All of this happens in a short time. The man is powerfully, we've looked at this for the last couple of weeks, this man is powerfully delivered from these multiple demonic, maybe even thousands of demonic spirits come out of this man. It is this dramatic deliverance and he too, the storm, not not a storm outside but a storm within is quieted. And then, immediately following that, the people of the town gather together and they essentially, even though the crowd before on the other side had embraced Jesus and listened to his teachings and thousands were gathering, now a number of people on this other side of the Sea of Galilee, now these people gather together and they essentially say this, get out of town. So they get back onto a boat They get back onto the boat. All of this is within the span of just a few days. Let me tell you something. Life is an adventure with Jesus. All of this is happening. As I've said before, the Gospel of Mark is the most sequential of the Gospels. It happens in the order in which we read it. And the time frame is very tight here. All of this compressed into a relatively short period of time. What happened next... What happened next is the story of two different people with surprisingly 
similar paths. You may be familiar with their story, but this morning I want you to I want you to listen to their story as I read their story. It's not going to be on the screen. It's it's a number of verses. And so you can either follow with me in your Bibles or you can just listen. If you do better listening with your eyes closed, then go ahead and do that. If you're tired this morning, don't close your eyes, just watch me as I read. But here's what it reads. Here's what it reads. Um, Acts, excuse me, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, it reads this way. Listen to me as I read. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, by the way, we know from another gospel that they landed in Capernaum. It's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd gathered around them while he was there by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, the woman had grown worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothing, I will be healed." Immediately her bleeding stopped and she fell, felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told Jesus the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished, He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. 
Lord, may you speak your word to us. Open our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. First reading, and to many of you it is a familiar text, but at first reading you might not think that these two people, this man and this woman, have very much in common. Because it's really two different stories, isn't it? Or it's kind of one story, the story of the man, interrupted in the middle by the story of a woman. It's two stories, one interrupting the other, and, and it's very easy to look at both of them and go, they're, they're, they're two completely different stories, they're just kind of intermingled. But, but it, it, might, it might surprise you that, that they have much more in common that you might first think. They, they really do. For one thing, the, we see here that they were both living with desperate needs. I want you to see that. They were both living with desperate needs. The, the first person that is mentioned here was a man. His, his name is Jairus. He was a synagogue ruler. In fact, about four different times in the reading, uh, the, it, it, we're told, Mark wants to make this very clear, he was a synagogue ruler. Why is that important? Perhaps because he wanted, them, he wanted the reader to understand that, that though this person was very influential in the Jewish community, he was also a follower of Jesus Christ. And he emphasized, so here's this man named Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler, but really none of that really mattered at this point. He had a daughter who was dying. You know, as I read this, and he, even though it's familiar to me and again to many of you, I, I, I look at this and I go, wow, I, 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 can't, I can't really quite begin to understand what he's going through. Some of you can some of you know what it's like to have a child that is close to death or even a child that has died. But I do have children. I do have one daughter and two sons. And, and, and I, as I was preparing this, I, got, I tried putting myself in this position. If I had a little 12-year-old or a 21-year-old child who was near death, how would I respond? Much like this man. He's desperate. He's desperate. From looking at the other Gospels, it's, it's a bit implied, but I think we can safely assume that this little girl had not been sick for very long. Seems to be something that came up quite suddenly. That, that, that all of a sudden she woke up with a fever, sickness, and, 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 but, but very deteriorated very, very rapidly. And so one of the first things that he does is he goes to find Jesus. He, he left his daughter's side. The mother stayed behind. She's mentioned later on. She stays with the child. It's almost, I, th I think it's almost like this. She's, she's dying. The mother said, I'll stay here. You go get Jesus. <laughs> and that's what he did. There's a, there's a desperation here. He was understandably in a hurry. Coming to Jesus, verse 23, it says he pleaded earnestly, my little daughter is dying. See those words? And he also said to Jesus, please come. It's almost as if you can see the urgency in those, in those words, the desperation in his words. He's a desperate man. He's not thinking about the synagogue right now. He's not thinking about the tasks at hand. He's not thinking about, you know, the, what's for supper or what the plan is for tomorrow or yesterday. He's not thinking. He's thinking about his, he's desperate. 
The woman spoken of here was also in a desperate place. It says that she had been ill for for 12 years. As long as the little girl had been alive, she was 12, this woman had been sick. She's probably not a very old woman. Notice that Jesus refers to her as daughter. Jesus is about 31 or so, about now. If if it would have been someone older than him, he would have referred to her as mother. But he refers to her as daughter. So she's perhaps in her early 30s or late 20s. But for 12 years, she has been ill with this this constant flow of blood, a a cycle, if you will, that, that did not stop. Now, now her need was arguably not as urgent as the dying girl. She'd been sick for a long time. And, 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 and though she wasn't getting any better, it wasn't that she was right near death, but, but it was very serious to her, and it was very serious, period. It was, it was a serious issue. Verse 28 says, She had suffered and spent all she had. Some desperation there, isn't there? Whatever money she had once had had long since been spent on cures that didn't cure. Instead, you understand the medicine at the time, it made her worse. A horrible place. There, now, there was, there was physical suffering to be sure, but in other ways as well. The, the Mosaic Law, under which the Jewish people lived very, very closely at this time, their daily life was very much ordered by Mosaic law. The Mosaic law would have declared her as unclean. It would have declared her as unclean and that, that for, for any woman with her condition at certain times of a month would, would, would be considered unclean and, and therefore could not be touched. Otherwise, if you did, that person would have to go through all of the... the challenges in the process of becoming, quote, clean again. So you can understand that this woman was not only considered unclean, but, but also she would almost have been untouchable. So some of her suffering, as it says here in verse 26, was isolation, maybe even rejection. Don't even be around that woman. Don't touch her. Stay away from her. She too was desperate to see Jesus. He was quite possibly her last hope. Remember, she'd spent everything. And people weren't going to to try and give her a cure without the cash. Jesus was her last hope. Now, I, I don't know where you're at. I only know that I'm was to bring this message today. But perhaps you are in, perhaps you are desperate in ways that are different than his or different than hers. But, but we can and we do face desperate times, don't we? Every one of us here have, are, or will face desperate times. Something's going to come up. In some cases, it may be something that has been going on for years. In some cases, it may be something that came up this morning. 
It's amazing how fast we can go get to a desperate place. <laughs> and, and there's a part of me that says, you know, that's not all bad. I'm, while, while I don't like desperate times, I'm very grateful that there have been things that have happened in my life, in hindsight, very grateful that that kept me close to Jesus. I've pointed out before that I think in my case, and I'm sure in your case, some of the times in which we grew closest to Jesus was when in desperate times we run to Him. So they have this in common. Two people coming to Jesus in desperation. There's another thing these two people had in common, and that is both of them demonstrated faith in Jesus. In verse 23, the man, the man now, Jairus, said this to Jesus. He said, come and put your hands on my daughter so that she will be healed and live. Now, why would he say that? We, we don't know why. It doesn't say, it doesn't record why. He believed that a touch from Jesus would extend his daughter's life. You have to understand that um, this wasn't necessarily Jewish tradition. Divine healing, while it had been a part of their history, particularly under people like, like Elijah and Elisha, it wasn't necessarily something that was practiced in Judaism at this time. Come and lay your hands on. So why would he say, why would he ask Jesus to come and lay hands on my daughter so that she will be healed and live? We don't know why he would do this, but we do know that sometime earlier in the same community of Capernaum, we do know that sometime earlier Jesus had touched a much older woman and healed her, Peter's mother-in-law. It said, it said in that reference that, that Jesus had reached out, taken her hand, and raised her up, and she was healed. We also know that in this same community, now remember, Jairus is the, uh, is, the, is, the synagogue, is a leader in the synagogue. So he's aware of people. It's also in this same community that Jesus had literally, had literally touched a man with the disease of leprosy and that man who also would have been considered untouchable, even more so than the woman that is referenced here. That man was also healed of leprosy sometime before. Jairus was probably aware of that. He knew that Jesus, this one, will even touch the untouchable. And so now when his daughter is suddenly ill and close to death, it, it, it stands to reason that Jesus would say, I'm going to go get Jesus. And if he lays his hands on her as he laid it on Peter's mother-in-law, and as he laid it on that leper, maybe also she will be healed. See, that's faith. That's faith. This, this desperate father did not know that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not. In his mind, he's this rabbi who has some kind of power to heal. That's all he, that's all he believes, really knows about Jesus. He didn't know him as the Son of God. He didn't know him as the Messiah. He did not know that this one who stood before him is actually the Savior and would become the Savior of the world. But he did believe. 
He believed that the one who had healed others could heal his little girl. So he had faith. The woman, this story within the story, this woman who had been ill for years also demonstrated faith in Jesus when she said to herself, she didn't say it to others, she said it to herself in verse 28, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Interesting. It says she thought this to herself. Yet more than just thinking it, because it's one thing to think it, it's another thing to act upon it. More than just thinking on it, she put her faith into action, and that is the test of faith. That, uh, please understand, acting upon it is the test of faith. She left her home. She, she pushed and elbowed her way through the crowd so she could be where Jesus was. Her actions that day, her actions were a demonstration of her faith in Jesus. She too did not know Jesus was the Son of God. She too did not know He was the Messiah. She did not know He was the Savior of the world. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, a gifted rabbi, a great teacher who also heals and touches people. Maybe she too, we don't know, maybe she too thought, I'm untouchable, just like that leprous man some months before was also untouchable, but if she touched him, maybe he will also, if he touched him, maybe he will also touch me. It's possible. We don't know. But they lived in the same community. So at the same time, from two different directions, knowing nothing about the needs of the other person, in faith, in faith, these two people made their way to Jesus. Um, this, this may surprise you, but rarely does the Bible tell us to talk about our own faith. Rarely does the Bible tell us to talk about our own faith. Now, please don't misunderstand we are to talk about Jesus. Scripture is very clear on that as well. We are to tell people about Jesus Christ. But I couldn't find even one place where we're commanded to talk about our own faith. Let me tell you about my faith. We can talk about our relationship. That's different. We can talk about Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior. That's good. But when we're not, not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. It's just it's not mentioned in Scripture. However, we are instructed many times in the Bible to walk in faith. Many times in Scripture, we are commanded to walk in our faith, to operate in our faith, to exist in our faith, to, to put action to our faith, to live out what we believe, to demonstrate what we believe, to act upon what we believe. I do not have any problem talking about someone about their faith in God. I do not have a, a bit of a hard time talking, but I would rather see it demonstrated and lived out in their day-to-day -day lives than, than any amount of conversations. Amen? It, it's, it's, it's what we do. Now, it, it's not one or the other. It can be both, but it better be more the one than the other. We're called to live, to act out, to step out, to act upon our faith, to walk in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So if necessary, to borrow from her story, if necessary, even to push through a crowd to do the difficult thing, to put our faith. Remember, she said these things to ourselves. If, if, I, just, if I just touch the, 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 the edge of his clothing, then I will be healed. But she acted upon it. She, she maybe even annoyed some people. People may have known that she too was unclean, and when, they, when she brushed up against them getting to Jesus, it may have, oh man, now i got to go through all the ritual cleansing. She was willing to do that to get to Jesus. But get ready. Now listen to this. Because when you act in faith, this is very important. Some of you are going to have to really live on this one. When you act in faith, when you step out in faith, when you put your, when you put your faith into action, when you put feet on your faith, you may then be tempted by fear. Because that's another thing that these people had in common. Both the grieving man and the sick woman were nearly overcome with fear. In verse 33, after she'd been healed, after she had knew it, that she was healed in her body, Jesus stopped. He felt power go out of his body. He, topped, he stopped and he called her out. And it says in verse 33, the woman trembled with fear. Please notice that. She trembled with fear. And then when the father learned his daughter had died, right, after this interruption, the messenger comes up and says, your daughter has died. He, he also was fearful because in verse 36, Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. Jesus would not have said, don't be afraid if there wasn't fear. Jesus knew his heart. So both the woman and the man, why would the woman be fearful? She'd just been healed. Maybe because having touched him, and him noticing that he was going to take away the healing. <laughs> or she was going to get in trouble. Because she's just broken a vo- she, she touched a rabbi. The unclean woman touched a rabbi. When you step out in faith, one of the things that can and very will happen is you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna experience some fear. Because faith is not always... All right, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to do this, I'm bold, and there's no problem. Sometimes you step out in faith and you're going, oh God, what is going on? Oh, this is, oh, I've never, I've never walked here before. I don't know, I don't know if this is good. All of a sudden you start experiencing fear. I look back in my life, and perhaps you can as well, the times that I really stepped out in faith, I knew that God had called me to do something, man, I was scared to death. And yet I knew I was in God's will. The opposite of, f- of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is unbelief or doubt. But fear is something that can undermine your faith. Fear is something that can erode your faith. And yet when you step out in faith, get ready, the enemy may then throw in some fear to dissuade you, to discourage you to defeat you, to stop you from stepping out in faith again. So I give you due warning. When you step out in faith, you may experience fear. Finally, finally, both people received more than they expected. I want you to see that. They they received more than what they expected. The father came to Jesus wanting only to see his daughter healed. That's right. That's all he wanted. I want to see my daughter healed. But he saw her raised from the dead. 
Now, I don't know about you. Healing's pretty cool. I've experienced healing. I've seen, I've prayed for others and they've been healed. Thank God for the healing power of Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, healing doesn't even hold a candle to raising someone from the dead. That's a class one miracle, man. Raising some from, he, he, now, there had to be a death in there also, and that, of course, was heartbreaking. And for some moments there, some minutes, he was in absolute mental and emotional agony. But he came for a healing. What he saw was a resurrection. The woman came to Jesus also wanting healing. Yet notice that she wanted it quietly. <laughs> she wanted it discreetly you know what, I'm just going to kind of come up alongside of him in the crowd. And as he's passing by, she had faith, but, as he, but she wanted it on her own terms. As he's passing by, I'll just brush up against it. I'll go home and I'll be healed. She would have been perfectly fine with that. That's what she wanted. Anonymous, quiet, discreet, just brush up, healed. Go my way, he'll never know anything, no one, but I'll know it. That's how she wanted it. But Jesus, it says, stopped. It also, he also he spoke peace to her. He gave her peace. She had an encounter with the living God. For the rest of her life, it wasn't the hand brushing up against the cloak that was memorable. It was that she talked to Jesus. That's what she remembered the rest of her life. It wasn't the feeling of the cloth, his clothing on her hand. It was the look of his eyes as he looked at her, the sound of his voice as he spoke to her. She got so much more than what she asked. She got so much more than what she expected. Her story, in, instead of her story being held very closely by this one woman that she would maybe tell her children or her grandchildren or, or her brothers or her sisters or her family or her friends, other than, other than just being this nice little story, let me tell you about the times that I touched Jesus' clothing. This story became known to everyone there that day. It became a powerful account of miraculous healing that has been told, retold, countless times over the course of 21 centuries. We talk about it today because she received more than what she expected. Well, how does that relate to us? Quite simply this. Jesus wants to do more in us and more through us than we could possibly imagine. Sometimes we think that the failure is that we fail to ask Jesus for something. And that's true. That is sometimes a great failure. We're sick or we're in need or we're distressed or we're fearful or we're worried. I guess worried is fearful. Or, or we're carrying some kind of a burden and we fail to come to Him. Yes, that, that is a sad thing. But I wonder if sometimes the failure is that we don't trust Him for even more than what we're simply asking. Sometimes we want just enough. Lord, give me a healing in my body. I've been sick for 12 years. This issue of blood, it won't stop. Just give me that and I'll be satisfied with it. Just touch my little daughter. Heal her. But they receive so much more. I want to trust Him 
for more than what I can possibly believe. You know this verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, powerful verse that says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, say that word with me, more than, we, than, than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You know, there's a story, two stories, a story within a story. This, this one day, one moment in time in Capernaum. And yet, we're still people today who face desperation. Things happen in our bodies or in our families. News breaks. And that news breaks our heart. In our desperation, may, may Jesus not be our final option, but our first response. So often we make Him our final option. Well, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work, that didn't work. I thought that would work, but it didn't work. So I'll go to Jesus. And he becomes our last option, our final option. But may he be our first response. Lord Jesus, I'm running to you. Before I run to anyone else, I'm going to run to you. Lord, keep me desperate for you. God, give me faith. The Bible says we're given a measure of faith. Like like that one guy You know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes that's where I am. I believe in you. I know you're unlimited in power, but I don't know if you're going to help me with this one. (laughs) Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But God, may I put action, legs, feet to my faith in you. May, may May I talk it, certainly, but more than that, may I walk it. May I... May I not just think of what I should do or what I can do or what I could possibly do, but may I I get up and, if necessary, push my way through a crowd. To trust Him like I've never trusted Him before. Put, Put some action to the faith that you have in Jesus. And finally, would would you would you trust for more, far more than you can ever ask or even imagine? And say, Lord, I can't even imagine what you want to do, but Lord, do it in me. I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't know what you... You've given me another day. You've given me another year. You've given me another opportunity. So I surrender myself to you and to your work and to your will. Do more in me 
than, I can, than I'm asking. Do more in me than I can even possibly imagine. Use me, Lord. This morning, I would, uh, I would like to pray with you. I've said this before. I, it's no, no less meaningful now. You are here not by mistake. You were, you were supposed to hear this message. In some cases, it took a lot of effort to be here. It may take some effort to get home, but by the way, if you can't get any place and you can't get home, we have a big house with no children, and we can... Uh, our children just left, so we have no more food in the house, but you can come and stay. But you're here today with a purpose. And if, if the purpose was for no other reason than to say, for God, to, by His Holy Spirit, to speak into you, you're desperate, but I'm here. Or perhaps... You have faith in me, now put it to action. Or I want to do something in you more than what you can ask or imagine. Then may the Lord speak that to your heart. I'd like you to stand with me, please. We're going to close our time, and as always, these altars are open. There is no hurry. But in this holy place in this holy time in which you have chosen to be here, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit, who has, I believe, already spoken to some, will now just really bury this deep into your hearts. I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, for a perhaps a familiar story to some, unfamiliar to others. It happened a long time ago in Capernaum, but it's still happening today. It's happening today in Aberdeen. For Lord, there are desperate people here today. Would you meet them in their desperation? Would you tell them that even here, by listening to this message today, you're speaking to them and that you're reminding them through this message that you are aware, you know the need, it's no surprise to you. So please, Lord, meet people, desperate people with desperate needs. I also ask, Lord, for my brothers and my sisters that they too will walk in faith. That they will put actions to what they believe. That they would not give in to fear. That they would not surrender to fear but that with a holy boldness that only you can impart, may they step out in faith and do what you've called them to do. And then, Lord, in faith, would you give us even far more than what we came for? Would you give us a Holy Spirit surprise as we walk in faith When we trust you for something, may we also believe that you're going to do not only that something, but infinitely more. 
So, Lord, speak to us. May the words of your word come back to our hearts and our minds again and again. May we ruminate on this. May we May this word dwell in our hearts in this coming week as we face desperate times, have opportunity to walk in faith and to trust you for more than you've ever done before. Thank you, Lord. Your blessing upon my brothers and my sisters, your protection upon them, in some cases as they travel many miles home, guard them and keep them. Give them strength for this coming week. Bless them, I pray, as we walk in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love his name.